Now, I did want to just introduce Tim. A number of years ago, I heard of a family from Sydney um, who picked up and went to the middle of Siberia in Russia to, to work within a discipleship training centre. I heard last night it was negative, up to negative 34 degrees in the middle of Siberia. And so you know something of a heart of a person when they're doing something like that. And that was Tim and his family um, just about 10 years ago. They served there for 10 years, just discipling and investing in young leaders there. And we are really blessed to have Tim come and share with us. So I would love it if you just give him a really massive Bridgman welcome as he comes uh, to share with us this morning. Tim's now pastoring in Sydney. He's come up from there to be with us and speaking across all four services, including this afternoon is part two of this morning's message. So come back again, 4 and 5.30. You can hear Tim there. But thank you so much, Tim. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Andrew. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's such a blessing to be at your church. And uh, yeah, I had never heard of your church before until a couple of weeks ago and Andrew invited me and I came up and I just realised, wow, what a blessed church and I'm just, I'm super excited to be learning from you in as many ways as I can um, because it's just amazing seeing what God has done uh, in your church and getting to know you a bit and getting to know Pastor Nathan and just want to say what a, what a privilege for me to be here. Um, as we jump into God's Word, I want to ask you, have you ever felt like an absolute foreigner in your surroundings? Have you ever felt like an absolute foreigner in your surroundings? I remember when we first moved to Russia, uh, I needed to pay for my apartment each month, pay the rent for the apartment each month in cash for the month. And so what I'd do is I'd go to the ATM and I'd get out like a thousand Australian dollars, which is about 20,000 rubles. And I would then walk back from the ATM to the apartment. And uh, people had told me, look, Russia's a really dangerous place at the time. Uh, the, the police are corrupt. You know, there's criminals on the street. The best thing you can do is not look like a foreigner. Just look like you belong as much as possible. And so I remember walking, it's such a distinct memory in my mind. There's this major road here. And I remember just walking quite quickly. I put my Russian face on, you know, Russians don't really smile outside. Um, They're they're lovely people when you get to know them, but on the street, they they look quite stern. And then also um, they walk quickly in this city that that I was in. So I sort of put my strong Russian face on and I was walking really quickly. And um, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, stop that, stop doing that. And I was kind of walking along having this little argument, I guess, with the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 this is, I need to do this. This is for my safety. I've got like $1,000 in my pocket. I don't want anyone to notice that I'm a foreigner. I don't want to stand out. I've got to do the, the Russian face and the Russian walk and that's how I'm going to rush around. And, um, and I felt like, yeah, the Holy Spirit was just saying to me, stop that, stop doing that. And I was walking up to this major road um, that was like this. And I I just, I felt like it was quite strong, this conviction. And so I I kind of gave in. About two steps away from the road, I gave in and just relaxed and then started walking a bit more slowly. At that moment, a car rushed past, beeping their horn. And I realised that I was disoriented. Um, In Russia, they drive on the right-hand side of the road. And so I was looking at cars coming this way as if they were on the left-hand side of the road, as if we were in Australia. The car was coming from the other direction. I didn't see it and it only saw me just as I was about to step out in front of this car. And thanks to the Holy Spirit, I'm still here today. Um, So I just wanna highlight that moment for you. I was pretending to fit in. I was pretending to not be a foreigner. And the Holy Spirit was saying, stop that, stop doing that. 
Uh, I'm talking about mission today, and I really believe that for us to embrace the mission of God in our lives, we need to embrace the calling that we have of being foreigners and exiles and aliens and strangers in this world. I believe that's ground zero. That's where it starts. You can't be a missionary if you're not a foreigner in your heart, if you don't embrace that calling of being distinct from the world. We're looking at the book of Esther today, so I'd love you to open your Bibles. I'm gonna read from Esther chapter one, verses one through five, and then from verses five through 15. It says this, this is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. Um, And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. Jumping now to verse 10. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice. He spoke to the wise men who understood the times who were closest to the king. Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Marsena, and Memukan, the seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. I just wanna highlight before we go on with the passage, what a special thing it is to have baptisms. And especially we had two baptisms of Iranians this morning at the the first service and another two baptisms of Iranians at the second service. And by God's providence, I really felt led to preach on the book of Esther today, which is the book of the Bible that is set in Iran. So Susa is a city in Iran. This is the Persian empire, which is the Iranian empire. Persian Iranian means the same thing. So what a blessing um, to be able to look at this culture, this beautiful culture, um, as, we, as we study God's word. By the way, there's a, a word that we have in English from old Persian. Do you know what word it is? Paradise. The word paradise comes from Persian and uh, it means a walled garden. And so when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, he was saying, today you'll be with me in that, that walled garden in the kingdom of God in heaven. Uh, a garden is a place of, of rest, of creativity, of life. But a walled garden is a protected place where nothing can get at you. And that's a description of heaven. It's beautiful that we have this word in English from Old Persian. And uh, just thought I'd throw that in there for, for safekeeping. Um, so, okay, we've got, we've got this, this, this chapter, Esther chapter one. And the, high, the, the, the focus of the chapter is that you are in a foreign world. That's the point. 
That's the point. It's setting the scene for the book of Esther and the, the, the whole chapter is basically describing how Esther and Mordecai are Jews living in exile, living as foreigners, living in a foreign land. And I'm gonna show you that as we walk through it. Verse one, it says this empire covers most of the known world. So it goes from India to Ethiopia, it has 127 provinces, this huge empire and Esther and Mordecai are little foreigners in a big empire. Verses two to four, the king throws banquets for months on end. Banquet in Hebrew, mishteh, means a drinking party. The king is throwing these drinking parties that last for 180 days. That's six months of drinking alcohol. So what we get is straight away this picture of a king who's on the throne over most of the known world and he really likes drinking a lot of alcohol. This king who has got immense power and he's a drunk. The, the third thing we see is this king is filthy rich. It says that he was showing the vast wealth of his kingdom. The Persian empire was an incredibly wealthy empire. When Alexander the Great later conquered the Persian empire, he was amazed at how much wealth there was in Persia. And uh, this is something that's uh, key for this king as well. So he's super powerful, super drunk, super wealthy. Um, and we know from, from like the Old Testament that kings weren't meant to be like that. Kings weren't meant to be super powerful, super drunk and super wealthy with lots of wives. This king is kind of ticking all the boxes of, oh no, we're foreigners in a strange land and there's this powerful king and anything can happen. If you're not convinced, we get to these lists of names, Memuhan and Bigthar and Teresh, and these are names that sound incredibly foreign. If you're a Jew reading this in Hebrew, you're used to names that sound foreign to us like Ahaziah and Zephaniah and Hezekiah, but you're not used to these names, Memukan, Bigtha, Teresh, all of these names. They sound very foreign. And there are two lists of seven names, foreign sounding names in this chapter. Commentators say this is to show us, to really bring this point home, that we are foreigners in a strange land. That, that's that's the, the literary device that the author of Esther is using by bringing in these lists of names. And then we haven't even gotten to the point of the story. And that is this incredibly wealthy, drunk, powerful, rich king in charge of the whole world, he calls for his wife to show up before him. And she says no. And so the picture we get is of a wealthy, powerful king in charge of the whole world who isn't respected by even the people closest to him. And what you're meant to feel is like that foreboding music in the background. Dana, dana, dana. That's, that's how you're meant to feel. You're meant to feel like, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. We don't know what's gonna happen. You're meant to feel like a helpless, weak foreigner where there are people in power who you don't understand, whom you don't know, who have all the power, who are making big decisions and they're a bit crazy and we just, we just wanna survive. And the Bible actually invites us, you and me, to that same feeling a feeling of being foreigners in this world. Being a foreigner means being weak because you've come into a new environment where you're not in control. Being a foreigner means that you are helpless, but you are distinct from the surrounding environment. I'm gonna to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The Message Bible puts it this way. 
Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. You might say, oh, Tim, come on, that's just one verse. I always skip over that one. (laughs) I don't like this idea of trying to be a foreigner in this world. I like settling in. You know, I like fitting in. Uh, That's just one verse. Let's leave that one. All right, let's leave that one. Let's leave it. I'll give you another verse. James chapter four, verse four. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? You're like, oh, Tim, come on. Okay, Peter and James, all right. Do we, have to, do we have to listen to those two verses? I mean, what about any others? Yeah, 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And you go, okay, okay, Tim. All right, the disciples said some of that crazy stuff, but Jesus never said anything like that, did he? He's a nice guy. He's kind. He is kind. He's a very nice guy. But he says this in John chapter 15. Verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Friends, I want you to focus on the the beauty and the power of Jesus choosing you out of the world. He looked at you, he chose you, and he chose you out and said, this one is mine. I believe the book of Esther provides us with one of the most powerful illustrations of what it means to be a spiritual foreigner in this world, to be distinct, to be helpless, to be different, and to have a mission from God. See, I believe God calls us out of the world so that he can call us back into the world. And there are benefits from being a foreigner. There are benefits from having this perspective. A couple of them, one, you don't need to know everything. Uh, If you grew up on the beach, you feel like you need to know how to surf. If you grew up in the country, you go to the beach, you don't feel like you need to surf. You don't feel like you need to know how to surf. There's a benefit. Foreigners kind of get a bit of a free pass. And so stay a foreigner, be a foreigner. It's a wonderful thing to be. In Russia, I used to make all these jokes that weren't very funny and people would laugh. And, and then like, they'd say, oh, that's, you know, that's obviously like Australian humour. Um, you know, your, your humour's like, it's obviously an Australian way of telling jokes. So we appreciate your humour, even though we don't really find it funny. And I'd say, no, no, Australians don't find my humour funny either. Um, foreigners get a free pass, it's wonderful. Number two, you don't need to own everything. If you're a foreigner, if you're from another place, if you're going to another place, then you're here temporarily. And you don't need to make this world your home. You don't need to feel the pressure to own the things that other people own. In fact, you might even dare to live by the principles that Jesus taught, that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. If you're a foreigner, you get a free pass. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to own everything. And you don't need a reputation. I remember when I moved to a country town, I lived there for three years And I could see how much the locals were so fearful of their reputation being tarnished because they were there for generations and they're planning on being there for generations. I was only there for three years. And so I had this feeling that I'm okay with people saying something that they don't like about me. I'm okay with my reputation getting a little tarnished. I don't need a reputation. I don't need to work for that because I'm not from here and I'm not staying here. I'm here temporarily. And it's a free way to live. When you acknowledge your place as a spiritual foreigner in this world, there's a wonderful freedom that comes. There's a wonderful freedom that comes from that realisation. Who was the person that shared the gospel with you? I want you to think about that. 
Who is the person that, that really brought Jesus into your life? I can guarantee you one thing. They were different. They were different to everybody else. They were a foreigner in their surroundings. There was something distinct about them. I remember when I was in high school, there was a girl called Laura. And you'd go to school on Monday and say, hey, Laura, how was your weekend? She'd say, oh, it was great. I went to church. God really spoke to me in the worship. He really touched my heart. He really healed me of some things. He really he showed me, he forgave me of my sin. And she would talk about her relationship with God as if it was a real thing. And I remember just saying, shut up, Laura. Like, I, like, I hated it. And I would persecute her. And I, I got suspended for persecuting her. And then I've had to apologise to her. And she's one of my closest friends. And I, I attribute to her and to my mum my salvation. I feel like I owe her my life. That's what Paul says, by the way, to, to Philemon. He says, you owe me your life. It probably means that Paul reached Philemon with the gospel. The person who reached you with the gospel, the person who brought Jesus into your life, you owe them your life. But I'm, I'm going to bet that you didn't really like them to start with. Someone came up to me after the morning service and said, that's exactly right. There's the, the lady who brought Jesus into my life. I, I didn't even want to work with her. I thought, oh no, I have to sit across from her at work. I don't want to work with this person. You know, I really didn't like her because she was just so passionate about Jesus. And then I realized she had something that I didn't have. That's what happened for me with Laura. I saw Laura has a joy and a purpose and a meaning in life that I don't have. And there were lots of Christians around me but I didn't see that in them because they looked just like everybody else. There was something about Laura, a joy, a passion, a purpose. And I could tell there's something different about that. And so then in my story, I was driving home one night. I was just finishing high school and a girl had just broken up with me. I know that's really hard to believe. Um, that's like the 301st time I've told that joke. Um, it's a really low hanging fruit. You know, it's a very easy. And I prayed, I said, God, I've tried to live life my way. It's got me nowhere. Now I want to give it a go, living life your way. And I remember I didn't expect anything to happen, but I felt the peace of God just fall on me. I felt his love. I felt like he was there with me in the car, smiling on me, telling me it was all going to be okay. I started to tear up. It was my first time really experiencing the love of God. I started to tear up. I found my mum's tapes that had like, shine, Jesus, shine, put them on the radio, started to sing through the tears. And that night changed my life. But I wanna just highlight the fact that I said, God, I don't wanna live life my way. I wanna live life your way. How did I know what that way was? Because someone had shown it to me. Someone had been a foreigner in this world. Someone had embraced their role of being distinct, of being set aside for God, of being chosen out of the world by Jesus. And because of that, I got a glimpse of what that looked like and I saw that that's what I wanted. Friend, are you a foreigner in this world? Or are you like me, walking up to that major road, pretending to fit in? Stop it, stop doing that. Stop pretending to fit in. First thing I see in this passage in Esther is that they're foreigners. The next thing I see is that they are faithful. If you look at Esther chapter two, uh, we get introduced to Mordecai. I wanna read verse seven to you. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young girl, the young woman, who was known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. 
So it's just our introduction to Mordecai. He's a, a, a guy, he's got a cousin called Esther. She's obviously younger than him. Her parents die and so he takes her um, and, and, is, and looks after her. He's basically like a foster carer. He adopts her. That's something that takes a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of money to do, to adopt someone into your family. But he does that. And the Hebrew word there for bringing her up is the word omen, which means uh, faithful one. It's related to our word amen. Mordecai was a faithful one. He was faithful in his family. The second thing we see about Mordecai uh, is in verse 21. Um, during that time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. And we see Mordecai faithful a second time. The first time he's faithful to his family, faithful to look after his cousin. The second time he's faithful in his work, right? He works somehow in the palace. He's faithful to report about this assassination attempt and saves the king's life. It's an incredible story, saving the king's life. He should have been rewarded for that. That plays a key role in chapter six. Um, but what you see is his faithfulness. He's faithful to his family. He's faithful in his work. He's faithful to the nation. And then if you read the next two, chapter, two verses, in first, first two verses of chapter three, after these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. And that's his third faithfulness we see in Mordecai's life. He's faithful to his convictions. He's saying, no, I'm not gonna bow down. Haman's a bad guy. We find that out because Haman is like, oh, I'm so angry at Mordecai that I'm gonna commit a genocide against his entire people, the Jews, right? So we go, okay, Mordecai was pretty good at character assessment and realized that, no, I'm not gonna bow down to this guy. So we see Mordecai is faithful. He's faithful to his family. He's faithful to his, his work. He's faithful to his convictions and that's dangerous. He's this person who's a foreigner living in a scary world and yet he's living a faithful life. Friends, I believe that is key for you and for me. If you wanna be on mission, you've gotta recognize your role as being distinct from this world. And then you have to live out a life of faithfulness to Jesus. You make that the goal of your life. Jesus said, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. You can't do that if you're not a disciple. And if your goal of your life is not to observe everything that Jesus has commanded you, I wanna call you to a foreignness and I wanna call you to a faithfulness, whether you're here or whether you're watching online. This is the calling of God into mission with Him in this world. It's a calling to be set aside, set apart, to step out, to be distinct, and then to be faithful to Him. And friends, that's the best way to live. After I'd, in the end of high school, I'd come to Christ, uh, we're deciding what to do with the rest of our lives, all of us in our cohort, all of the other kids who are finishing high school. And I was saying to other guys, like, what do you wanna do? And I'd said, look, God, now that I'm a Christian, I wanna live my life for you. I want the decision that I make about what I'm gonna do next year to be 100% grounded on what you are telling me to do. I've been listening to stories about your church here and just how incredibly focused on prayer you are as a church and how focused you are on following the leading of God. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. I think I had that same heart in, in, at the end of high school. God, I, wanna, I, want, I just wanna do what you want me to do. 
And that was when I received a vision. I was walking across the street, said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I saw a picture of a map and there were people coming from all over this map to a central city. And they were going to a discipleship center in this central city and getting a flame in their hearts from this discipleship center and then spreading out all over the map until there were spots of flame all over the map. And I felt like, God, you're calling me to be involved in a discipleship center in a central city somewhere in the world that's goal is to see revival come to a region. My wife then had a vision of a map as well. We met and she saw an X of borders and she went and found it on a globe and there's this massive X where it's Russia, China, Mongolia, Kazakhstan. And above the X, she saw a city called Novosibirsk, uh, which means New Siberia, Novosibirsk. I'll say it, then you say it, right? Novosibirsk. Yeah, it's excellent. Really good, really good. Just so you don't go home and say, oh, this guy from Novoskibrisk was preaching. Um, it's also Siberia, not Serbia, just so you know. I got introduced once. Hey, here's Tim preaching for us today from Serbia. Not here, not here. You guys are more switched on than that. Um, so we felt God's calling us to, to mission. We then met someone from OM and they said, hey, we've got a discipleship center in Novosibirsk. They also knew how to pronounce it, just like you do. And, um, and I said, wow, how many discipleship centers do you have in Russia? And they said, just this one, just in Novosibirsk. And so we were able to go there, visit it, and then prepare, spend 10 years preparing, studying at Bible college, serving as a pastor, learning Russian, and then we went over there and served out that time in this discipleship center and had a wonderful time in this incredible ministry. And along the journey, people would say, wow, Tim, how amazing that you have such a specific call of God in your life. And I would say, yes, that is amazing. I love that. I don't have it in this season, <laughs> by the way. It's not all the time. How amazing that was. And I, I would say to people, the way to get clarity is to say, God, my answer is yes. What is your question? God, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me and I'll go. Just, just send me and I'll go. Tell me and I'll do it. I want to be completely faithful to you in my life. People would say, oh, isn't that radical? I'd say, well, what's the other alternative? I was born yesterday. I'm gonna die tomorrow. Do you think I've got better plans about my life than God has for my life? Of course not. Of course, my plans that I make for my life are like 1% as good <laughs> as God's plans or a percent of a percent or less than that. And the same is true for you, friends. I would uh, talk to people in, at the end of high school and they'd say, oh, I'm negotiating with God about what I'm gonna do in my life. I say, negotiating with God, how do you do that? I say, oh, well, God wants me to do this. I sort of really receive that in prayer and I wanna do this. So I'm kind of talking to him about it and I expect we'll meet in the middle. And I remember going, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't think you can do that. No one's convinced me that you can. Friends, I wanna call you to be foreign to this world. I wanna call you to faithfulness. And I wanna let you know that when you live out a life of foreignness to this world, called out to be called back in, when you live out a life of faithfulness to God, the result is that your life is crowned with his favour with his favor. We see that in the beautiful story of the book of Esther. I'm gonna to read to you from chapter two. And this is um, basically the king, King Xerxes. He's, he's now looking for a new wife. He, he does this weird sexualized beauty pageant and he gathers all of these, these women into his harem. And Esther is a beautiful woman in Susa and so she's gathered into the harem. And I wanna acknowledge that that's a tragedy in her life because she's already lost her parents, she's living in exile, and now her agency and freedom is taken away from her. But this is what it says in verse nine of chapter two. She pleased him, that is the eunuch who was in charge of the harem, 
she pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Or verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go into the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. And then we go to verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther. It actually says in Hebrew there, the king loved Esther. The king loved Esther more than any of the other women and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins and he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. It's a beautiful story despite these tragic circumstances that Esther, living as a foreigner to this world, living as faithful to God, she experiences God's favor wherever she goes. Uh, We know that God is at work behind the scenes. Esther is an interesting book because God's never mentioned explicitly in the book of Esther. And I love that about it because it's like the Bible is saying to us, God is willing to work behind the scenes. And that's how he often works in our lives. You, You know that he's at work, but you can't put your finger on it. What is he doing? But here we see that Esther is experiencing favor with everyone around her. It's the original Cinderella story without the fairy godmother, because we don't need that. It's a Cinderella story. I think, think, by the way, the people who wrote Cinderella got their ideas from the biblical book of Esther. I think that's the original one. And uh, what, what you see is she's an orphan who ends up on the throne. And why is that? It's because of the favor of God. It's not unlike the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery, who's sexually harassed, who's put in prison, and everywhere he went, he was faithful. The Bible says this in Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden until Joseph ended up the prime minister of all of Egypt. Friends, I just want to highlight to you that when we're foreign and faithful, God gives us his favor. Jesus says this in Mark 10, 29 and 30. Truly, I tell you, I want you to listen to this as a promise from Jesus to you. If you're here, if you're online, this is a promise from Jesus to you. Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That's a promise from Jesus to you, friends. There's a promise from Jesus to you. I don't know how he counts up the sacrifices that we make for the kingdom of God. I don't know how he counts that. And I don't know how he counts the rewards that he gives us, the favor that he shows us. I don't know how that works either. But I do know the ratio between the sacrifices we make for the kingdom and the rewards that God gives us in our lives. And it's a ratio of one to a hundred. That's what Jesus says. Jesus promises us great rewards, great favor of God in our lives, along with persecutions. It's not a promise of an easy life, but he promises us great rewards as we make sacrifices for the kingdom. And you see that in people who are older, who have made great sacrifices for the kingdom of God. They often look back and they say, I don't see a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice. I didn't make a sacrifice. It felt like a sacrifice at the time, but now I look back and see the favor of God on my life and it feels like there was no sacrifice at all. When we step out 
into God's calling on our lives. A, a, a pastor I know used to say it like this, uh, when you step out in faith, God steps in with power. When you step out in faith, God steps in with power. And, I, and it's not just big stuff, guys. I know you're hearing from this missionary who served in Siberia where it was minus 34. It actually got to minus 44, Andrew, wherever you are. Sorry, just correcting you there. It's important. Minus 34 and minus 44 actually feel different. I know people are like, oh, surely that doesn't feel different. Well, welcome to Siberia. Come and visit. Um, we impress everybody with those stories except for Canadians. So Canadians, if you're here, I know I'm not impressing you with the, with the temperature. Uh, I'm just impressing everybody else because Canadians have the same temperatures. Anyway, the favour of God on your life. The favour of God in your life as you follow Him. I remember one time uh, living in St. Petersburg in Russia. Uh, we needed to rent a new apartment. It was because uh, we were going away for a month and I didn't want to keep paying rent to the old apartment. And I was wondering, should I keep paying that rent for the old apartment when we're going away for a month? And, or should we just leave our stuff with a friend and then like, come back and find a new apartment? And I asked my wife's mum, my mother-in-law, I said, would you pray about this and seek God and see what He says to you? She goes, oh no, Tim, God hasn't spoken to me in so long. I don't think I can do that. I said, just, just pray, please, just pray. And she prayed and she goes, I really feel like God's saying for you to leave your stuff with a friend and come back and there'll be a new apartment waiting for you. And I said, great, I was 50-50. So that's enough for me to now make a decision. She's like, no, don't make a decision based on what I said. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. I was 50-50 about this. So you've just bumped me towards doing that and I'm happy to do that. And so we left, we came back and I needed to find an apartment in one day. And I was walking around this city and I called up my real estate agent and I said, hey, I, I, you told me that there's like five houses ready for me to look at. She goes, oh no, there's only this one. All the others canceled because you've got kids. And I'm like, whew, okay. So I walk up to this apartment at 11 o'clock and I walk in and it's huge, it's huge. And they're only asking for 20,000 rubles a month. And I'm going, wow, why are they only asking for 20,000 rubles a month? That's like, that's like they could ask for almost twice that much. But just a little tip, just a side tip, in negotiations, you never say to people, why is it so cheap? Just a little tip. So I'm thinking, how do I ask, why is it so cheap? Right? And, and I, I realized, oh, what I'll do is I'll ask, how, oh, could you go any cheaper? So I said that, could you go any cheaper? And he goes, no, it's so cheap, because we can only give it to you for four months. And I said, oh, that's okay, we'll just take it for four months then. Now, we only needed it for four months. And I was worried that that was gonna be a problem. So I'm like, wow, God's in this, this beautiful big apartment, super cheap, wow, wonderful. And then he says, but you'll need to pay the first month's rent and a bond. And I knew I had access to 20,000 rubles. I didn't have 40. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> and he goes, great, meet back here in an hour with the money. And I'm like, okay. So I, I walked down the stairs thinking, where am I gonna get this money from? But I could feel, I don't know how to describe it. I'm sure many of you know what it, what it feels like. I could feel the favor of God. I could feel it. I don't know how to describe it. And I'm walking down these stairs going, God, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna solve this problem? And I walk out onto the street and I see my mate from Australia walking to me along the street. A city of five million people, I had no idea he was coming. My mate, Zach, walking to me along the street. I realized 20,000 rubles is walking to me along the street. <laughs> and I said, Zach, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh yeah, I'll come to St. Petersburg, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, have you had lunch yet? I know a great pie place. We went and sat down, had a lovely pie together. And as we're finishing up, like I like take a big gulp of water, you know that gulp where you're like, oh, I've got to ask a big question. So you got to take a big gulp. And I said, hey, Zach, would you be able to lend me 20,000 rubles? And he goes, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go to the ATM. And we're walking to the ATM and I'm thinking, Zach's going to like turn around and go, are you kidding? This is a joke, right? And like, I hardly knew the guy. And we walk up to the ATM, he gives me 20,000 rubles, and I walk back, pay the, 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 the money, and, and go and pick up my parents and my wife. My parents were coming to visit as well, wife and kids from the train station. And it was a sign of God's favor in my life. 
Now, I'm not saying everything that year was easy, but it was a moment of favor. It was a moment of favor. And I want to say that's the promise of God, friends. As we acknowledge ourselves as foreigners in this world, as we recognize that we're called out of it by Jesus, as we recognize that he has a purpose for you and for you and for you, for you watching online. And that purpose is to be distinct in this world. As we acknowledge that, as we recognize that, as we embrace it. And then as we seek to live lives faithful to him, he steps in with his favor in our lives. I'm gonna invite the band up and I'm gonna pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promises. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good on your promises that you are faithful to your word. Lord, that you're faithful to every person who can hear my voice right now. You are faithful to them and faithful to what you've promised them. And God, we ask now in faith that we would see your favour more and more. I thank you for the favour you've shown Bridgman Baptist over these years. I pray for more favour. Thank you for the favour you've shown Pastor Nathan. I pray for more favour in his life. And God, I pray for everyone here in this room, everyone watching online. Lord, we ask that you would lead us, lead us out of this world. Lead us back into it, following you, faithful to you, making disciples. Enable us to serve you faithfully in our lives. We wanna get to the end of our lives and know that we've done our best. We've run the race. We've fought the good fight. We've carried our crosses and we've seen the favour of the living God. Amen.